I just wish people could step back and say, why did you let something like that divide and tear apart this beautiful friendship? You know, why did you let that tear apart the body of Christ? Do we, I think we value the incentives that come from division more than we value Christian unity. This episode of All Things is sponsored by Acts 29 with an invitation to their 2023 Advanced Conferences. The Acts 29 Advanced Conferences are practical training events for church planters and leaders that bring together new and aspiring planters, dynamic thinkers, and proven practitioners. These events will include breakouts for various church leaders, including women who are pastor's wives or ministry leaders. There are two advanced conferences remaining in 2023, with events in Dallas, July 31st to August 2nd, and Portland, November 13th to 15th. To learn more and register for one of these advanced conferences, visit acts29.com slash advance23. That's acts29.com slash advance23. Welcome everybody to All Things. On this episode today, I am joined by a colleague and brother in the Lord, Dan Darling. Now, Dan, the introduction for Dan would take a while because he has written 15 books, which I feel like I just want to get some pro tips from you on that, Dan. But Dan also regularly appears on some of the major news networks like MSNBC, CNN, Fox News, and he contributes to USA Today. He's a columnist for World Magazine. Featured in Washington Post, National Review, and Christianity Today. And Dan also has his own weekly podcast called The Way Home. He has been a pastor and he currently leads the Land Center for Cultural Engagement, where he also teaches um, at the college level. So, Dan, that's a lot. What did I miss in terms of introducing you to the audience? Well, I appreciate it. And such a great opportunity to be with you, Jen. And uh, hope uh, was looking forward to this conversation. Thanks so much for joining us. I know that you will be able to offer a lot to our listeners. So my podcast focuses on current events and trends through a Christian lens. Mm. And I know that you speak into current events and trends on the daily. You know, I follow you online. I've read a number of your books. I have listened to your voice attentively for the last several years. So I feel like we could take our conversation in a hundred different directions. Um, even, you know, just this week, there's so many things we could talk about in terms of world politics and what's happening in the mm. United States, what's happening even here in my own state of Colorado, um, because you have spoken out. I, you have a record of speaking out on issues of race or immigration, of course, during the pandemic, just cultural issues, the dignity of human life, um, a whole host of different things, Dan, that you speak into. So my first question for you, and it's sort of a selfish question, a personal question, but one that I think our listeners will really resonate with. I want to know why you're willing to do that. Why do you speak into cultural issues, Dan? Because I know that you have taken a ton of heat and you've even lost things professionally and personally because you have been outspoken when it comes to biblical engagement with culture. So why do you bother? Well, I think it's interesting. I'm, I've, I've always, my whole life, felt like a calling to the church and also a calling um, like to, to think through cultural issues and politics. So like, you know, I've always loved the church. I've always felt like a call to, to be a pastor, to be, to, to serve in the church. I just love ministry ever since I was like in middle school and I walked forward to, uh, to follow Christ, you know, uh, commit my life to Christ that way. 
but I've always loved politics and culture. I mean, I was reading the newspaper when I was like, like really young. We used to get three newspapers at our house and I would read them every day, sports and, and the news and uh, loved presidential politics. I interned in um, our state capital of Springfield when I was in high school a couple of times and um, have always just felt a call to do both. And, you know, it's interesting I've had times in my where, where I'm serving in ministry in a church where I'm, when I pastored where I was trying to help our people understand cultural issues, try to apply the, the scriptures to what's going on around them. And then there's times I've served in, uh, you know, when I was at ERLC uh, thinking through policy, where I'm trying to help those people understand what Christians are thinking. So I just have been in both worlds all the time, and I and I just feel called to help. I, I think that for me, it's part of. Um, in, in some ways, obeying the great commission and the great commandment, you know, the great commission where Jesus says to go into all the world and preach the gospel. But it, it also says, teach them all the things I've commanded you, you know, like mm-hmm. helping Christians think, what does it look like to be a Christian, to steward uh, uh, our, our citizenship, to to be a Christian in the world? Really, you know, w- w- whether it comes to ethics, whether it comes to stewarding our voice and our vote really matters to me. And, and also what does it mean to obey the great commandment to love our neighbors ourselves? And so, mm-hmm. um, I don't intentionally do controversial topics for the sake of controversy. And I think yeah. there's a difference to say, you know, here's an issue that I really feel is compelling that I, I feel the Bible speaks to that. I feel I, uh, I have some expertise on, um, but I do feel like we have to be wise to not just be controversial for the sake of it, because there's a way of doing this where you can just sort of create a following by being a lightning rod. And I think today there's even more perverse incentives to do that for Christians, to just sort mm-hmm. of to do it for the sake of it. So I think we should speak to things uh, when we really feel that the scripture speaks to them and try to do it in a way that uh, you know encourages and edifies the body of Christ. Uh, and doesn't necessarily gin up controversy itself. And I would say uh, the Bible itself, the gospel itself is controversial and always has mm-hmm. been. You know, you think of the first century church, you know, the fact that they were saying that Jesus of Nazareth was Lord and not Caesar. The fact that they were not participating in mm-hmm. the ritual cult practices of the Greco-Roman Empire. The fact that they were gathering to worship uh Jesus and said that he rose from the dead and is king of the the world. That was controversial. So the gospel in some ways has always been controversial and always been countercultural. Yeah, absolutely. I'm just thinking, you know, personally, I I resonate with what you just said. And I Mm -hmm. feel that same calling to understand the scriptures and apply them to our current cultural moment. And I know a lot of Christians don't feel that calling, you know, so Mm -hmm. I, I know, you know, I can't imagine not feeling that draw. And yet yeah. I know that we have siblings in the faith who can't imagine bothering or feeling the draw that we feel. So I wonder, Dan, what, how do you handle it when your siblings in the faith disagree with you? You know, when there are, there's a, a hot button issue, maybe immigration. Let's start. Mm-hmm. Let's just, let's go with an easy one. Believers, you know, even mature believers in the Lord come down on the issue in different places and for me, I, I'm guessing this for you as well, like that can be particularly burdensome or heavy or just feel especially difficult when good faith debates amongst siblings, um, you know, we come from really different places. Mm-hmm. What keeps you going when that happens or what motivates you or what happens in your mind and heart when that's the case? Well, I think we have to distinguish between what uh, I think Jonathan Lehman talks about in his book, um, um, 
why the nations rage. And he, he says that there's some jagged lines and straight lines. And I think that's a great way of thinking of there are, there are definitely issues, cultural issues about which, you know, faithful Orthodox Christians really have to agree on that. The Bible is pretty clear on, you know, our, what, what we believe about marriage and sexual ethics, Mm -hmm. um, the fact that we believe life begins at conception. Those are not, you know, if you really are following scripture, those are things that are really, you can't agree to disagree on. And I think there's other issues too. Then I think there's issues that um, Christians agree, I think, should agree that you mentioned immigration. Immigrants are made in the image of God, that these are people and not just problems to be solved, right? But good Christians will disagree on the exact policies. You know, what's, what's prudent in terms of, how our country should handle immigration. You know, on the one hand, you have Romans 13, where we have to control, the government has to control who comes in and out. You have to have borders. You can't, you can't let everybody into the country. On the other hand, we have great wealth and and prosperity. We can help some people, maybe more than we do uh, Mm -hmm. let come in, but where those lines are, you know, good people are going to disagree. I feel that way about healthcare and economics that there's, there's, um, Good people are who are in the scriptures are going to disagree on what the most prudent policy is. So I think we should we should have positions on these things if if God calls us to speak out to these. But be a little bit open handed to say, mm-hmm. you know, I disagree with you on this, but can we can we agree that on the basic truths, you know, that for instance, Im- immigrants are made in the image of God. How, mm-hmm. how do we handle that? We could disagree on. I, I think it's important for us. Um, to do that and know what issues are primary and what issues are secondary and tertiary, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that absolutely makes sense. I, I appreciate your answer. And yeah, I do feel the tension of like easier said than done. You know, we, we have that foundation. We have the, as what you, what you have um, articulated so well, you know, it's good for us to engage and it's okay when we disagree. And yet when we do disagree, it can be tough. Yeah, it can be. I, I also think, we have to understand calling and not everyone has the same mm. calling, right? Mm. So we're a body. And um, when it comes to engaging our world, I don't think any Christian has the option of saying, I'm just going to completely disengage, right? I think yeah. if we love our neighbor as ourselves and we have an opportunity to shape the structures in which our neighbor lives and shape the cities and communities our neighbor, you know, shape the flourishing of our neighbors. And we have an opportunity to do that with our voice and our vote in other ways. I don't think we have an option to disengage. I just don't think so. I also think Romans 13 in a, in a democracy and a representative Republic gives us a share of that power. So we'll be accountable, but everyone has a different calling, right? So some may have a calling that's more local. Some have a calling mm-hmm. that might be more national. Some may have a calling to speak out on issues and help equip Christians. Some have a more quiet calling and that's okay. So like I have a friend who's a U.S. Senator and he has to be involved in his party. He has to be involved in all these issues. Yes to know. I have other friends that are called to do more local things. And it's easy for someone who's say in DC to look at the the local pastor, like your husband, who's pastoring and say, why doesn't he speak out more on these issues when he's trying to pastor a diverse congregation and trying to really shepherd them faithfully. But your, your, your husband might be tempted to look at the Senator and say, why is he so partisan? Mm. And it's like, well, he's got a different calling uh, or there's more local callings where someone feels like the way they engage the culture is it's to start a nonprofit in their city where others say, you know, God has called me to be a writer or speaker and I'm going to speak out on these issues. So I, I just think we have to respect that among Christians, you know? Oh, that is so good. I know. I, I do feel the pressure, you know, obviously I write publicly, so I feel mm-hmm. that pressure to say something, 
you know, all the yeah. time on what's going on. Um, and yet I'm not equipped to say something, but I think in, in our social media age, everybody feels that pressure. Like I need to yeah. come down on it. And then I think, the, you know, the majority of my friends then have just fled social media and fled um, online engagement altogether, which is, is okay. Like that's where they, what they feel like they need to do. Um, and yet I feel called to stay and have that online presence. And so I, I love what you've said about, let's just give each other grace for that. We're different parts of the body and some will be local, some will be national, some will be public, some will be private. Um, I think that's a really good word. Um, yeah, I have a I, question for you. Oh, go ahead, Dan. No, I, if I could add one more thing to that, I, I think yeah. some people feel called to specific issues. Some people call them more generalist, mm. you know, like, so someone who's called to be working in the pro-life space and devoting, they're probably going to talk primarily about that. Someone that someone else might be called to work in the uh, disaster relief or development space. And they're talking about that. They're not necessarily enemies. If they're both Christians, I think they should respect each other and they shouldn't work mm. at odds with each other. But some people are called a more general thing. So I, I think that's another area where we have to, there's sometimes misunderstanding to say, how come this person isn't speaking up more about this? Well, that's yeah. not their role. And what does speaking up look like? Uh, yeah. This idea that, um, everyone has to have an opinion all the time in public is really a new phenomenon, right? So mm. a pastor might actually be speaking out on this issue, but he may not be doing it on Facebook. He may be doing it to his local congregation, right? right. So I think those are other things to, to wrestle with as well. Yeah. It's crazy. The, de the demands on our opinions and our words and our viewpoints is just really unsustainable. Um, Dan, I have a, a sort of a foundational question for you. You have a book that just came out called Agents of Grace. And so we're going to get there. Um, but you rec rightly recognize division in the body, division in the nation, division mm -hmm. in our Christian body. Um, but I feel like as someone who was overseas for a long time, we came back to the U.S. And at the very end of 2015, right before the 2016 election. And then, of course, mm -hmm. 2020 happened and all that came with that. It felt like after having been in the States for a few years, 2020 was really different, really unique in that things really exploded. Um, it, for, for me personally, for our context here, relationships that had been really good, where there had been unity, where I feel like I thought we were on the same page, were suddenly very divided. And, um, you know, families were divided, churches were divided. It felt like something, you know, very, a, a watershed moment sort of happened in 2020. I'm curious about why that happened. Why was it different in 2020? Why, why, why then, why that moment, what was going on in the hearts and minds of America that it was, it was that moment that we chose to really run to separate corners. And of course that's not, not everybody. I know that unity has been maintained in beautiful ways. But mm -hmm. there's been a, a fracture that I think we can all identify. Why do you think that happened? There has been. And I actually do think 2020 was a huge flashpoint. I do think it does go back in some ways to 1516. Um, but if you think of like 2016 through what are we in 2023 now, we've had several major disruptions. Um, we've had the, the obviously the continued growth of the digital age. So we all have more platforms to speak. We all have, and, and there's sort of perverse incentives that are on social media, even among Christians to speak out, to show people that you're on the right side and all those sort of things. And then you, of course, you had the rise of Trump. So however you feel about Trump, if you love him, if you hate him, he was a disruptive figure. Um, 
you have um you know 2020 with a worldwide pandemic and uh racial tension and so we're we're just in this time of great disruption and mark sayers talks about that in his um book uh called um the non a non-anxious presence and he talks about being in this gray zone where where there's been times in history where you had like the uh, pr- rise of the printing press, you the industrial revolution that are super disruptive. Um, so I think all that just is a huge mix. And, and Christians, unfortunately, the same fishers that are in the wider culture have also mm-hmm. come into the church. And that to me, that's really distressing because what and then one of the reasons I wrote this book was was really a plead for unity and Christian unity. And when you look in scripture, when it, the, the, the admonitions toward Christian unity assume that there is going to be unity across division. Otherwise, the Bible, if it was easy, the Bible wouldn't tell us to do it. It would just be natural, right? And it's even harder now. I think, um, you know, what's distressing is there are people, and I've had the same experience, Jen, where... I've had friends and people who have radicalized since 2020, either left or right in weird ways. And I was like, I don't recognize those people, you know, and I don't know what's going on with that. Um, I think part of it is we've become more tribal. I think there's a desire to be seen as being on the right side. Um, I think the American culture and the parties have radicalized that way. As Christians, I think we have prioritized tertiary things over primary and secondary things. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are some issues worth fighting for, and I talk about this in the book. There are issues worth fighting for. Mm-hmm. Uh, but a lot of the things Christians are fighting over are important, but not ultimate. And, you know, I know friends, and you probably have this experience too, who, if you have a Venn diagram, they basically overlap in terms of their belief system. Yeah. And yet they don't speak to each other. Right. Because of something in 2020, whether it was race, whether it was the pandemic, whether it was Trump. And I just wish people could step back and say, why did you let something like that divide and tear apart this beautiful friendship? You know, Mm. why did you let that tear apart the body of Christ? Do we, I think we value the incentives that come from division more than we value Christian unity. Right. And I'm not talking about division over really important things. You know, the Bible does say to earnestly contend for the faith. Paul tells Timothy to stand firm. There are things worth going to the mat for. Christian orthodoxy, that body of truth that's been passed down to us for 2,000 years, that is given to us from the apostles, that we don't have the authority to rewrite. Those are things we should go to the mat for. Mm. But a lot of the things we're fighting over, they're not even secondary things. You know, you think of secondary things like baptism and uh, you know, so like I'm Baptist and other folks are Presbyterian and that's great. I think that's actually healthy. Yes. We're not even fighting over that stuff. We're fighting over how people handled COVID. We're, we're fighting over approaches to things culturally that are really are, 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 are not as consequential. And so uh, there's just been so much disruption. I think it's revealed. I also think our disunity in some ways is a luxury of all of our prosperity mm. and our theological richness in this country. Um, you probably know this more, but if you are in a mission field in a closed country and there's not a lot of evangelical presence, 
you are grateful for every single brother or sister in Christ you have, and you're probably probably not fighting much over the really tertiary things. Yeah. You're just happy to have fellowship, right? Yeah. But here we have so much theological richness. We have so much prosperity that we have the luxury to fight. That makes sense. Yeah, no, that absolutely makes sense. I, I appreciate everything you're saying so much. Dan, talk to the listener who feels like they cannot have unity with someone who disagrees over immigration mm. or over who to vote for in the next election. Mm. Um, I mean, voices that we respect and listen to have said things such as, you know, if you don't vote for this candidate, you're not a believer. And they've said it on both sides. Or if you don't feel this way about COVID or the immigration you know, or immigration issue or, um, you know, family medical leave. So many things I feel like we hear even from respected yeah. leaders, this is what you have to believe if you're a follower mm-hmm. of Christ. And yet they, they are tertiary. Um, so I don't, how do we talk to our friends who believe that these are primary when, you know, you and I would say they're really not. I mean, I think they're important and I'm, I think people should form opinions about them, mm-hmm. but we should just say, you know, what is it that binds us together as brothers and sisters in Christ? Yeah. Um, and what is the heart of the gospel? Yeah. Um, and yeah. I don't think we should bind the conscience on things that are not uh, primary, right? And and really say, I think we should, first of all, in our most important relationships, say, I have a deep disagreement with this brother or this sister, and I'm going to make a determination not to let this relationship go. Right. Yeah. I have a chapter yes. in my book on friendship Good. and the Bible has this passage on there's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And I actually remember the old King James version, a friend that sticketh closer and that word sticketh, you know, it just makes me think of like gum on the bottom of your shoe mm-hmm. or if you super glue your hands together or for like your, your kid is eating waffles and has syrup and they just stick everywhere. <laughs> and it's this idea that you're not going to let go. And I think of Ruth saying to Naomi, Where you go, I will go, and your God Mm -hmm. will be my God. In other words, Naomi, you don't have a choice. I am staying with you as your friend. Or David and Jonathan. And just to say, I value these people more than what our differences are. And I'm not talking about differences over Christian orthodoxy um, and those decisions. But someone has a different approach to politics or has a different approach to this. And asking ourselves, like, is how I'm conducting myself, is that promoting Christian unity or is it promoting division? You know, mm-hmm. Francis Schaeffer, uh, Francis Schaeffer, who was a great apologist in the last generation, who was not afraid to make strong arguments against the culture and stand for truth. He wrote a book called The Mark of a Christian, and it's about Christian unity. And he was pleading with the church. And he, he says uh, that the world has a right to judge the validity of our faith based on how we love each other. Like, like he says, love is the final apologetic. It's, it's from John 17, that the world should be looking in on Christians and saying, I don't know how they do it. Yeah. Somehow they love each other. That should be characteristic of us. And, and what does love require? And love requires um, forgiveness. It requires believing all things. Love, 1 Corinthians 13 says, love believes all things. Love requires the benefit of the doubt, not naivete, but benefit of the doubt to assume this person who disagrees with me on this thing is not coming from a place of malice. I disagree with them. I think they're wrong. 
but they're doing it from a sincere heart and not assuming yeah. bad motives on the yeah. part of someone who maybe votes for someone differently or approaches this differently or whatever. So I, I, I just really think we have to be wise about that. Yeah, that is so good. I appreciate this so much. I think, you know, we, I have experienced that personally where people have left friendships, relationships, the church, but also um, friends who said, no, I'm going to, I'm going to stick closer than I'm going to stick it <laughs> closer mm-hmm. than a brother. Um, but it's a fight, right? Like it is not easy yes. to say, I love you deeply, despite our very strong opposing convictions in this area. Um, but having been through that now that it's 2023, having walked through that now for a few years with it, with many dear friends, I can say that it's worth it, but it's costly. Mm. It, t- it takes effort and returning to the gospel over and over. Um, unpack that a little bit more for us, Dan, your book is called and just came out. I'm, I'm thrilled to, um, endure, you know, encourage our listeners to read it, but it's agents of grace, how to bridge divides and love as Jesus loved. Talk to us more about being an agent of grace and how we can bridge these divides. You know, I, I, I really lament the lack of Christian unity uh, that we're seeing across, you know, it, it's happening in families, it's happening in churches, it's happening in, in nonprofits, it's happening in denominations. Um, and there's a lot that I can't do, you know, to fix the larger problem. But what we can each do is determine to be someone who... Um, is going to work toward Christian unity. It doesn't, again, it doesn't mean we don't have strong opinions. It doesn't mean, but it's, it's to say, I'm going to love people, you know, and to resist this kind of tribalism, right? To say, you know, you voted this way or, or you believe this way about this certain thing that I disagree with you on. You're in this tribe. I'm just going to avoid you um, or whatever. And I think to say, no, uh, I'm not going to do that. And to understand that there's a lot of perverse incentives right now toward yeah. disunity. Yeah. Um, I talk in the book a lot about cynicism. One of the things that really disturbs me is I feel like cynicism about the work of God, about the church is almost like a cottage industry, right? Like, you know, this, this, I, this sort of anti-evangelical look, and, and we've had scandal and we've had issues and I'm not saying we don't, we've got issues in our own house that we have to clean up, but if you're not careful, you'll be catechized every day by these bad headlines. And you'll start to think that God is not at work through his people in the, in the world in this age, that everything's bad. But you know, a pastor who's faithful for 25 years, that doesn't make the headlines. You know, yeah. a person who's moving overseas to help refugees doesn't make the headlines. Um, and God is at work in the world today. Jesus is still saved. And Jesus loves his bride. That's the thing. Those Christians who annoy us, and I can think of probably a handful of people right now who annoy me, and I don't like the way they conduct themselves, and I don't like the way they carry themselves on social media or whatever, but they're members of the body of Christ, and Jesus loves his bride. Jesus doesn't just tolerate his bride. He's not over eye-rolling his bride. He's not saying, oh boy, I have to put up with these people. Can you believe it? He loves the church. How can we not love the church? And how can we not see the people of God any differently? There's so much incentive to say, you know, I'm ashamed to be an evangelical or I'm ashamed to be this or I'm ashamed to be that. And I just, you know, Luke uh, 18, you know, I'm so glad that I'm not one of these people, right? The, the person in the temple that prayed, I'm so glad I'm not like that tax collector. That's sort of the incentive online is to say, I just want you to know, I'm not one of these kinds of Christians. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm one of these, you know, I'm one of these. And we have to resist that. You know, to say, 
I'm going to love the people of God, even if it costs me something to say, this brother here, I'm going to love them and affirm them. And this brother here, I'm going to love them and affirm them, even if it costs us something, right? Gosh, that is really helpful. You, you're, I think you hit the nail on the head when you say it's incentivized to be disunified and to be cynical. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, Dan, why don't you leave us with just a parting gospel word? I mean, as we close out this episode, I want to encourage people to read your book. I want to encourage people to um, return to unity, to return to the bride of Christ and to embrace our siblings in the faith. Um, but would you would you close us out with just a parting word um, regarding the gospel, why this matters, the love of Jesus? I guess mm-hmm. I, I guess I'm wondering, Dan, can we do it? Is it is this possible? Can you give us hope? We can. You know, what's interesting. I just watched the uh, Jesus Revolution movie. I don't know if you had a chance to see that. I haven't seen it um, yet. And you know, what's interesting. The 70s and 80s, the 60s and 70s, I'm sorry, were full of, um, they were, I think the culture was worse than it is now. Mm-hmm. There was assassinations. There was Watergate. There was Woodstock. There was a sexual revolution. There was Vietnam. We even had a president, you know, Jimmy Carter, who gave a speech talking about melees, like, like our best days are behind us, all that kind of stuff. The church was divided. And here comes the Jesus movement that nobody saw coming. And I think we've convinced ourselves that God's best days are behind him. Hmm. And the truth is God is at work today and he can do a work. I'm encouraged by what I'm seeing at places like Asbury, where young people are saying, we want to worship the Lord. We want to give our lives to the Lord. We want to repent. Um, What a great thing that is to see young people doing that. And we don't know where God is going to do a work. We don't know what God is doing. I mean, think about the church in China and the church in Iran that are just exploding in growth. So we need to look up and say, what is God at work doing? How can I be part of it? Um, How can I be a unifier? I think there's a difference between discernment and cynicism. We need discernment. We need not to be naive. But cynicism is actually easier to just say everything's bad. Every leader's corrupt. Every church isn't preaching the gospel. But God doesn't call us to that. And he calls us to love. He calls us to forgiveness. I have a chapter in there on forgiveness and how God has worked. I've had two major like real betrayals in my life and how God has helped me forgive and to love and to not carry that with me. Um, I think those things are important. And man, just to say, where can I be faithful? Where can I be plugged into what God is doing? And uh, to believe that in this age, in 2023, God is alive and active through his spirit, through his people. I love that. God's best days are not behind him, but he is at work here and now. Dan, where can people keep up with your work? Well, they can go to my website, danieldarling.com. They could follow me on social media if they could put up with my my hot takes on sports and other things. Uh, I'm on Twitter, at Dan Darling. Um, Yeah, and you can find my book wherever you, you buy books, so... Absolutely. And I will be linking your books as well as those contacts in our show notes so everybody can find you there. Dan, thank you for your time and your perspective. We are grateful. Jen, thank you so much. I really appreciate your ministry. I love what you're doing. And I just want to encourage that and encourage you to, to keep going. Thank you. Grateful for you. All right, everybody. Take care. Thanks for tuning into All Things. Hey, thanks so much for listening to All Things, where we look at current events and cultural trends through a Christian lens. All things were created through Jesus and for Jesus, so we're seeking to apply his word to what's happening here and now.